Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey, everybody. This is Jim Galliano, and thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. Today is March the 9th. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, You're listening to the podcast if this is your very first time that's dedicated to helping people just like yourself, solopreneurs, freelancers, small business owners, build what I like to call our kind of business. I'm talking about one with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. And yes, I know that's not grammatically correct, but it is memorable, which is going to be important because you have to be conscious of exactly what it is that you're attempting to build while you're going through the process of building it. So we have the planning on the front end, but as we begin to build, especially in the online world, because there's not that huge financial investment for most business models, it becomes very easy to lose your sense of direction and sort of get lost in the woods. And so it's important to get back to the main path that you know that you're supposed to be on, that you originally made a commitment to be on, But maybe someone talked you into maybe doing a little bit of this or trying a little bit of that. And the next thing that you know, you're right back to where you started, but you haven't made the progress that you hoped you would make. I know a lot of solo business owners follow a business model that can't possibly be sustained over the long haul. Before I go any further, I just want to make mention of one quick thing. If you haven't already heard, I have a brand new newsletter available. It's absolutely free. It's called the Digital Strategist Newsletter. It's designed to help you be a better strategist when it comes to plotting out your own digital strategy for your business or possibly your clients' businesses as well. It's available at jimsnewsletter.com. Absolutely free. Comes out once a month. I think you're going to enjoy it. Okay, back to what I was saying. A lot of solo business owners are following a business model that can't possibly be sustained over the long haul. Now, when I say solo business owner, if you've never listened to me talk before on this podcast or talk about solopreneurs or read any of my blog posts or anything like that, my definition of a solopreneur isn't an individual business owner who does everything by themselves. I know that used to be the definition in the past of what a solopreneur is versus what an entrepreneur is. To me, the modern updated definition of a solopreneur is different from the definition we used to accept in the past. For example, there's plenty of people out there who are working for themselves. They're not only working in the business, they're working on the business. Some people used to say, well, a solopreneur is a person that works in the business, whereas an entrepreneur is more of a managerial type, a person that works on the business. However, the solopreneurs of today, individuals who work in their business, like a freelancer, for example, also employ other individuals from time to time to help them to do things that maybe they're really not so good at. So for an example, a solopreneur over in area one may hire another solopreneur in area two to do some graphic design work, or they may hire a developer to do some programming. And it's not like they have these people as full-time employees. They don't. They just hire them when they need them. But they don't have a team 
They don't manage people on an ongoing basis. They don't have a payroll to meet besides themselves each and every week. So yes, an entrepreneur may be more of a managerial type where they set up the business to run without them and then they basically oversee the operation. Maybe they do that several times over and they own several businesses. But that type of business model is different from the solopreneur business model. With a solopreneur business model, usually you have a talented individual. Maybe they're a writer, a designer, a consultant. They're an expert in whatever they do. And yes, they do employ other people, like I said, from time to time. They're not trying to do all of the heavy lifting by themselves. And what's different also between the solopreneurs of the past and the solopreneurs of today is the fact that the solopreneurs of today have all types of technology that's available to them that wasn't available to them in the past, which means that they no longer have to do a lot of the things they used to do by hand. There's automations, or manually, I should say, there's automations that will basically take a task that used to be done in an hour, and it can do it in, let's say, a matter of minutes. For example, when it comes to in my own world, things like managing multiple websites, we would have to log into each website individually in the past, update plugins and update themes and things like that, and then make sure everything was working correctly. Today, we have tools that are available to us where we can basically just click a few buttons and everything is automatically updated. You can update 30, 60, 100 websites in a matter of seconds or minutes. Now, how long would it take to do that manually, logging into one site at a time? And that's just one simple example in one, one field that I'm giving here. So the solopreneur of today can do probably the work of three people as compared to the solopreneur of, uh, of the past, even 20 years ago. So but like I was saying, a lot of solopreneurs are following a business model that is not really sustainable, and they really don't realize what they're doing as they're doing it. This is something they discover along the path. Now, I would like to tell you that even though I'm a third-generation entrepreneur, I consider myself both, to be honest with you. For example, I would consider a writer to be a solopreneur. Even if they have an agent, even though designers work for them doing the covers, because the writer is the talent, they are the heart of that business. If you remove the writer, whether they're writing books or songs, really, I guess you could use it in, in you know, multiple examples. If the person's not creating the work, then all of those other people really have nothing to promote, nothing to do their creations for. For example, if the writer isn't writing the story, then what is the book cover designer going to do? You follow what I'm saying? And so we look at musicians, even if they're in a band, they're really like individual solopreneurs because if they stop doing the work, then the work stops existing unless it was work that was already done in the past, which is a great way to grow a business, to scale a business by creating something one time and selling it over and over and over again. Books... Are, example of, are a good example of this, unless, of course, you're writing about technology because that's something that changes continually. So it's not like you can write a book on how to, let's say, work with Windows 11, which is the latest version of it, and then 
think that you're going to be able to sell that book 5, 10, 15 years into the future, as opposed to someone like um, Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit, who knows how many years ago, and people are still reading that book and movies are still being made about it today. So yes, a solopreneur can scale their business. You know, we look at regular businesses that have multiple people working in them and think, well, this is the kind of business model we should really be doing because this is the kind of model that we can scale. And in the past, that was true for the most part. You could scale a physical business simply by adding departments, adding people to those departments. And instead of one person or two people doing a task, several years down the line, you might have 30 people doing that task. And that's what scale looked like. That was the basic definition that we've accepted. But today it's a lot different than that because not only does technology make it faster and easier to get things done, but in a lot of cases, technology is actually replacing human beings who used to be doing the work with the help of machines. I think that's a difference if you look at manufacturing today versus manufacturing even a decade ago. I know 20 years ago, I visited a local wheelchair manufacturer, the biggest in the world, in uh, Nokomis, Florida at the time, and had a brief tour of how everything worked in there. And there used to be an entire staff of people working on the floor assembling these wheelchairs. But now I think there were two people at the time that I went there that were left, and instead two giant machines manufactured in Germany did everything. It fabricated all of the parts and it actually assembled them on the other side. Book publishing was the same way. Today we have book on demand systems that one big system, one giant machine does everything from the folding, the collating, the printing, the trimming and the adding of the covers whereas before you would be able you would have to you would need several hands on deck so to speak to get that same finished product out there so yeah technology computers machines it all makes a difference it doesn't make any difference what field we're talking about we can be talking about manufacturing we could be talking about making cookies or we could be talking about online business which is what we happen to be uh, focusing on here in this podcast but I think what happens is a lot of solo business owners start out because they have this skill. They have this thing that they're good at. And the simplest way, if you think about it, what's the simplest way to make money? The simplest way is to make people aware of the skill that you have and you provide that skill for them in return for whatever dollar amount it is. So if you're going to do a design for someone, if you're going to edit some material for them, whatever it is that you do, if you're going to do some consulting work, you just tell them what you do. What do you really need for that kind of business? And I mean, it's just mo in its most simplest form. You just need a way basically to communicate to people around you and to receive payment. Now, if they're local, it's even easier. All they have to do is hand you a check or hand you cash. But most of the time, of course, we're dealing with online transactions today, so you know you need a PayPal or a Stripe or something like that where you can receive payment and a way of sending someone a bill. It can be very simple. It doesn't have to be a fancy invoice or anything like that. So, And there's also systems that are already out there that are just plug and play, and you just pay a percentage and it takes care of all that for you. But getting back to the average solopreneur, the average solopreneur is starting out just trying to 
maximize their time and get as much work as possible, get as much business as possible. And their main focus is going in two basic areas. Number one, it's on doing the job and doing it well. Most people that survive in this business, online business in general, are people that, I'm talking about the small business owner now, I'm talking about the solopreneur, who are making the effort to put the very best possible product they're capable of putting together out there. People that are trying to do the best job possible. Now, there's some huge companies out there that produce very average products. We all know them. We've all had those experiences over the years of buying average. But when you hire an individual person that does an above average job, and sometimes, I hate to say it, but in some marketplaces, above average is just showing up consistently. Above average is just doing what you said you're going to do each and every time. Because average isn't even that. I hate to say it, a lot of people would, I think, would agree with me on that, is that things have changed. So quality isn't what it used to be. But getting back to the individual business owner, yes, maybe they're making a little bit more because they're doing above average work, or maybe they're beginning to grow because they do what they say they're going to do, and they do it consistently. You can really build a business that way. It is slow most of the time, but if you keep at it long enough, you can build the business. However, what happens most of the time is we get to a place where we realize that things that we should be doing or could be doing in our business, we're not doing. And then when we try and do those things, we find that either we're not good at them or we don't have enough energy left to do them correctly or we don't have the money and we kind of hit a wall. And so we each have 24 hours in a day. If you take sleep out of the, uh, that, even if you're only going to sleep six hours a day, you take those six hours out. I know some people need eight. Who knows? Maybe some people need more, but you remove that. And you think about how much time you literally have to do actual work in any given day. And that time gets cut into all the time by other unforeseen things happening. Just everyday life can happen. And what happens? It shortcuts your focus. It impedes on your time. And that day that was originally dedicated to doing a job suddenly gets um, pulled out from under you. And you wind up focusing on putting out fires or just doing other things. And then when you get back to the task at hand, let's say it's still the same day, you're mentally exhausted because you had all of these other things pulling at you all day long. There's an old saying, and it's true. It goes like this, where attention goes, energy flows. I really like that because if you're working on something and you get a signal that a new email comes in and you read that email, and let's say it's a client or a customer asking a question about maybe a product or service or your hours or they want to schedule a meeting with you, what happens? Suddenly you take that same focus that was on doing whatever project you were doing and your energy is redirected into focusing on what this other person is saying and answering them. So maybe it takes you, I don't know, five minutes to write a reply, but then you have to refocus again. Now, back to the original project. But now what, let's just say that the phone rings or you get a text message and it's someone else asking something else. Maybe it's not even a person. Maybe it's just someone trying to sell you something. 
And your whole day can be like this, where you really find it difficult to truly focus on any one given task for more than five or 10 minutes at a time because the distractions are just nonstop. Now in a workplace, if you worked for someone else, of course, that wouldn't happen because they would make sure that you wouldn't stop what you were doing because they're paying you to answer a text or to call someone back or to stop and answer an email. But because it's your business and you're the business owner, then you feel responsible that I have to be there not just for customer A and B, but for C, D, E, F, and G also when they're asking for my help. And so bringing a limited amount of energy and focus into any given day, you can see why sometimes days, weeks, or even months can just be burned up. And then at the end of that time, you have very little to show for it. Now, I personally believe that a lot of these distractions are connected to the fact that you have the wrong business model to start with. Let me say that again. I think a lot of these distractions that people have are what we might call manifestations of having the wrong business model to start with. Now, if you say, well, Jim, I have the right business model. I feel good about what I'm doing. I really believe I can grow, but I, I still have continuous distractions. Then, of course, you need some kind of process in place to avoid getting the life sucked out of you each and every day or for more days than not in any given week. Maybe there is a time where you have to decide that I'm going to check my emails at 9 o'clock in the morning at 12 o'clock and at 3 o'clock. And during these other blocks of time, the email will be shut down. Now, of course, if there's, an emer if there's a true emergency with a loved one or somebody like that, you know, they have your phone number. Or if there's a true client emergency, I'm sure that, yes, they probably have your phone number or they'll contact you. But you know that what you're doing, I, I used to look at my business like this. I am not a surgeon in an emergency room in a hospital. Nothing that I do or don't do is really that urgent. Now, that said, there are urgent things within my business that can suddenly go wrong. And my phone would be, I was going to say ringing off the hook. My phone's not on the hook anymore. It's a cell phone. <laughs> anyway, yeah, maybe my email would be blowing up or something like that. But these are rare occurrences. These are rare things. Like, for example, uh, the web hosting part of my business, a server can go down. That has happened before. But if a client site goes down, I also have sites uh, that are my own on each and every server that I manage. So my own site will go down as well. So it's not like I won't be aware of it. So yeah, things happen. I mean, things can happen in your personal life too. You know, Maybe you get a, I'm just thinking I don't have kids, but I remember when I was a kid and falling in, uh, in gym class and breaking my collarbone and the school had to call my parents and they had to rush in and take me to the um, hospital or the doctor, I forgot which one it was, maybe it was both, and had to get my shoulder set. Uh, I, I was injured so many times. I was pretty aggressive in gym. Back in the day, we would play everything. We would play, you know, soccer, football, both the, you know, the European kind and the American kind, flag football. But, you know, when you're kids, you know, you're a little rough. 
I broke a wrist once in gym. I think a year later I broke a collarbone and then I kind of like backed off from being so aggressive in, uh, in sports. I played a lot of sports, ran, did things like that, but I'm just saying life happens, right? It happens for you. It happens for your kids. It happens for your spouse, whatever. All of those things aside that aren't happening every day. Emergencies aren't happening every day. If they are, then you have to have a process in place. Either you're in the wrong business, and believe me, I know what it's like to be in the wrong business. I remember growing a specific kind of business. I don't want to go into the details because I don't want to lose the main thought here. You might think, Jim, what is the main thought? The main thought that I wanted to share with you today is about scaling your business and be able being able to scale a business without a team. But I remember getting to a point where I was following a business model that was designed to have a lot of people on deck, a lot of people on board, a full staff of people along with a payroll. And when I when the recognition of that hit me, I thought to myself, no wonder life has been so chaotic and stressful because I'm building something. I'm trying to build something that deep down in my heart, I don't really feel like I'm equipped to build. Here's a, here's another way of looking at it, an analogy here. Uh, pro boxing. I've been a pro boxing fan all my life. And the biggest division where all the money's always been made is the heavyweight division. Big guys, especially today. We're talking about you know, 230 to 260 pounders, six foot six, six foot eight. I mean, anywhere in between real big guys. And that's where the big money has always been made in that division. But there's a whole bunch of other weight divisions below that. Matter of fact, I think the, the smallest one is the, um, I think there's a junior flyweight division, which is about 105 to 107 pounds. The junior bantamweight division and just a quick story on this, there was a fighter in that division, 115-pound weight limit. He was just as charismatic as charismatic could be. He was like a blue-collar, and there were, he had another opponent. His name was Johnny Tapia. He had another opponent that grew up in the same town as him. Both of them went on to become world champions in the same division. And we're going back now. We're going back into the... Gee, I forgot how long it's been. Maybe the late 80s with this, early 90s. But uh, these two guys were little fighters who became superstars in their own right. And they were both basically from the same hometown, uh, fought in the same gym before. I think they had a rivalry from his long back probably since they were kids. And both went on to become champions. Now, you know that in boxing, there's more than one title. There's different organizations, and different organizations recognize people as champions, and sometimes they unify their titles. So these two guys, both 115-pounders, did that. They fought in this title unification, and they made millions of dollars. And back then, it was really kind of sort of unheard of that the lower weight classes would make that much money. But think of it. If you were a championship caliber anything, but let's just take boxing, for example, and you only weigh 115 pounds like these guys did, and that was the weight limit, then you're never going to be able to compete in the heavyweight division. But yet you're a talented fighter. 
So what do you do? You compete in your own division. And I think what happens a lot of times is we have 115 pound entrepreneurs and they want to compete with the heavyweights. They, they want to be like the Elon Musks of tomorrow. They want to be like the Bill Gates or they want to build the next Amazon. And I'm not saying that you can't do that. I'm saying that you don't have to do that in order to succeed. I believe, you know, parents tell their kids when they're young, you can do whatever you set your mind to do. I believe that's true. But I also believe that each of us are specially equipped to fit in one place better than any other place in our life. And, and I further believe, because I'm at my core, I'm a faith person. You know, I, I believe I believe that God has created each of us for to be here in this time for a specific purpose. I believe everyone's life has a purpose. And, you know, some people may not find it. Some people may not believe it. But I believe we're all here for a reason. And then once we discover what that reason is, and it's not something usually that goes off like a light bulb, it's something that you realize over time where you fit in, that's when you really begin to thrive. And absolutely, can it be difficult to find that place? Absolutely. I wouldn't say it's easy. You know, it takes, the, it takes desire, it takes focus, and it takes something that you grow into. But when you, when you find that place in, in the business world, things begin to click. And one of the things for me is my ideal of success and the reality of what success was really going to look like were two different things because I thought bigger was better. I thought the more people, the better. I thought the bigger the payroll, the better. And what I didn't realize was, was that I was better equipped to work in a different kind of business model and have a different kind of business because I don't know about you, but I looked at business very simple when I got started. Number one, I looked at how much money can I make because business is about making money and what type of impact can I have in whatever marketplace I'm in. Those two things were important to me. If I had the money without the impact, I think I would be maybe a little bit, I don't know, I think that maybe was kind of wasting my time. So, for example, if I made, let's say, half a million dollars a year selling lollipops and I would look at that business and think, well, I'm, it's great that kids are eating my company's lollipops, but what am I doing with my life? You know, is it enough to say I'm the lollipop king of, of the East Coast or I'm the lollipop king of the U.S.? Probably not. So what would I do? I would have to find something that was meaningful to me and use all the money I was making from my lollipop business to make a difference in that other business or in that other outreach. Maybe it wouldn't even be for profit. Maybe it would be nonprofit. That's what I mean about having meeting or impact. That was something that was important to me to have, not just make the money part. So because, you know, when all is said and done, no matter how much money that you have, you can still only wear you know, one, one pair of pants at a time, one pair of shoes at a time. You can only drive one car at a time. You get what I'm saying. I think the novelty of being able to have whatever you want, whenever you want, well, eventually that kind of gets kind of old, maybe a little bit normal. What do you think? I don't want to put words in anybody else's mouth, but I think a lot of people would come to that conclusion. But getting back to the solopreneur side again, 
if a lot of people, you're in a small town or maybe you're outside of the city limits, there's not a huge population where you're at, and you're thinking about growing a company that's like 10 times the size that you currently have. And when we look at examples of like that, where do those businesses turn out to be? A lot of times they're in major cities. They're not in small towns. They're in major cities. Why do you think that is? Well, because there's the money and there's the dense population there. Dense population probably means dense number of businesses. And they need that type of a product or service. If you take that business out, if you take a a business out of, let's say, New York City or Los Angeles, California, or uh, London, or Sydney, and you put them in, let's say, just a small town somewhere else, do you think that business ever would have grown to be the size that it was? Or do you think they would be able to sustain the same amount of business based on their location? You know, it's just something that, you know, some of you might be thinking, well, I think it could be done. I'm talking about averages. I'm not talking about outlying situations. We're talking in generalities here. Because sometimes I think that unless you understand the generality of what your problem is, then from there you don't really look into feasible uh, solutions, whatever the problem is. So, you know, we're talking about things right now like logistics. Logistics being defined as a, or the detailed, I should say, coordination of an operation that involves multiple people, multiple supplies, multiple facilities. In other words, there's a whole lot of moving parts that have to be organized properly to get the desired results. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about logistics. And so if you're in, let's just say, a smaller or an average-sized town, the elements that you need to become maybe that's that huge agency or that huge company or that that huge business may not exactly be where you're at, but that doesn't mean that you can't generate a good income. That doesn't mean that you can't create wealth. It just means that the business model is different. And so if you're using the wrong business model, if you're using a city business model and you're living in the country, then of course you may have some problems. So if you really compare a larger business, let's say something you're trying to build by bootstrapping your way forward, you're just going to bootstrap yourself your your way from a small business to a large business, you know, you're going to realize sooner or later that there's certain pieces that you don't have that the larger business has. For example, maybe they have a full-time sales team available. Maybe they have several project managers. And in your mind, you're thinking about business growth like you do natural growth. And that may work to a point, but only to a point. For example, an infant is born, all things being equal, with everything they need to reach adulthood, to reach adult size over time. But a small business, by comparison, is usually what we might call birthed with some missing body parts. You know, you're currently using the same set of legs you were born with, but your business, on the other hand, may be missing a leg or not have any legs at all, or maybe missing another part, and you're not going to get that part unless you get some investment capital. You see where I'm going? So the growth is not natural. It's not organic. There's nothing really organic about outside investment. 
At least that's how I see it. Now, there's nothing wrong with outside investment, but if you think, if you look at the Microsofts of the world or the Amazons of the world, the people that start large companies do so with the plan of getting outside investment after they reach a certain stage. And so just being aware of how that works is so important. Most people either aren't aware of it or don't think of it, and they just start a business in the back of their mind. They picture the business just growing to be this mammoth thing, and it just doesn't happen by accident. It happens by planning. See, this is where wisdom comes in. You need a little bit of wisdom when you're going to make a plan for your future, especially when when you're starting out small, you have to recognize where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, and what price are you personally willing to pay? I know some people sacrifice their entire lives in order to build something, in order to build a company. That's not me. That's probably not you. And I mean, there's some people that do that. But if that's not you, then you can't have a business plan in place that's going to require you to keep on sacrificing because what's going to happen is you're going to get to a point where you're not going to want to sacrifice anymore. And then what happens? And then you're kind of stuck. Or you don't want to get venture capitalists on board. You don't want to get outside investment. You want to control everything on the inside. But you have a business model that requires more cash than you're capable of generating via bootstrapping. And unless you recognize that and acknowledge that, you know, sometimes we, we watch movies and we see these success stories, but a movie is how many hours? Hour and a half, two hours. Maybe if it's a, an epic, it's three hours. But oftentimes movies, especially the success story parts of it, they don't really show us what goes into the work that leads to the success. Even, you know, we see movie, older movies like Rocky and all the work and all the preparation that went into getting ready for the big fight. But there's a lot more than even what that portrayed on the big screen of what the fight game is really like getting ready for to be a professional fighter. But I say that goes with everything. I just like boxing. That's why I'm always looking at boxing illustrations but or for making comparisons. But as a solopreneur, you have to realize that you can't just go ahead and emulate what you see a bigger company doing. Now, even if you think about the concept of scaling, think about how it really works. For example, if the bigger company has four departments with at least half a dozen people in each department, it's not like you can scale that down and create the smaller version of that because you're just one person. What are you going to do? Create small little departments and then you jump to each department? Do you get what I'm saying? So you have to understand, well, what is the function that those departments do? And how can we replace the need? What processes can we have in place? What tech can we have in place to remove even having the need going forward of having or needing departments, these four different departments? And, you know, besides when you get right down to it, there is a difference between, and this may sound like semantics again, but I really believe there's a difference between scaling your business and scaling your income. I believe what you probably really want to do is to scale your income, not necessarily your business. If you can scale your income without scaling your business, do you know what I mean by that? Again, I'm not just playing with semantics. I'm not just playing with words here. But if you can scale your income without having to hire a whole bunch of people, would that be more appealing to you? There's no really right or wrong answer there. And for somebody who prefers a solopreneur style business or a boutique size business, or maybe a partnership, which you work with 
someone else. You know, you can have one of my friends was a solopreneur and he's retired now. That's why I say was. And his business partner was also a solopreneur, but they had two diametrically opposed gift sets. And that's why they worked so well together, because there wasn't even the temptation to have overlap. A lot of problems happen in companies because we have an overlap of responsibilities. We don't have well-defined lanes. And there's a lot of other reasons why. You go out there and you talk to people today that run a business that have payroll to meet every week. And you'll learn firsthand just how frustrating it is to manage people on an ongoing basis. Now, you can talk to people who have online businesses, and one of the advantages of an online business is that you are not location-dependent. You can work with people from anywhere. What's nice about the online world is that you can have artists from different countries. You can have coders from different countries. But there are some negatives to that also. There are some downsides to having someone in a different time zone than you, depending on the type of business that you have. So this is something that I think every individual person has to do. But again, most of us don't do this because what happens is we have the skill, we have the ability, and we just jump in and we do our best to start making money, ASAP. And then when we hit these different blockages, when we hit these different speed bumps, then we try to figure out what type of process we need in place in order to get over that speed bump, in order to get through that blockage, in order to make the business less stressful in order to make the business more enjoyable. So a lot of you have been in business long enough now where you know what you like and what you dislike, when you know what you're good at and what you're not good at. It's okay to admit that you're not good at something and also to admit that you don't want to put in the effort to get good at that one thing. At least if you commit to that decision, then you can make a solid decision on how to fix that problem permanently without kind of going back around in the circle again where, yes, you're going to do this. No, you're not going to do this. Yes, you want to go here. No, you don't want to go there. Sometimes the only way to answer those questions is to go through the experience, get your get beat up, get knocked out a few times, and then learn that, okay, I only weigh, I have to fight at 150, I have to fight in the 150-pound weight division, or I should say 147. I have to fight at welterweight because I can't put enough weight on my body to be an effective middleweight. Or I have to stay at light heavyweight because I'm never going to be able to grow my arms any longer than they already are to have enough reach to be effective as a heavyweight. And none of those things are negative because people are, just like in sports, they're having success in whatever weight class they're in, whatever division they're in. That's where you grow. That's where you thrive. And stop wishing that you were somebody else. Because it's easy to compare our weaknesses to other people's strengths and then just feel like, you know, why, why bother? But you have your own strengths. You have your own things that if you would concentrate on those and get better at those, then you're going to go from maybe just a little bit above average to way above average to stand out in that thing. So the question, back to the question, can a solopreneur scale without a team? Yes, if you have the right business model. What business models can a solopreneur have without needing a team? Well, when I look back at my own experience in the web development world, when it comes to a web design, internet marketing type of business, there were a lot of moving parts. 
because my clients wanted everything. They wanted to have the websites. They wanted to have the SEO. They wanted to have the list building. They wanted to have all of those things. And every job that I did, that I took on, that we took on in the early days was a custom job. So we went from custom job to custom job. And it was competitive even back then. And at that time, the only thing I really specialized in which I really have very little competition in today, was in getting publicity in the mass media, knowing how to do PR, write press releases, distribute press releases, having contacts in the media to be able to get information about a business out there. Now, that's not exactly a rocket science, but it's not, it's just one of those things where you do your best, it's like fishing, you know, some days are better than others. Sometimes the fish are biting and sometimes you just go home empty-handed. That's what the PR game is like. But it was something that I got exposed to early and it gave me a little bit of an advantage maybe over, or in some cases a big advantage, over some of my competitors. But it took a while for me to realize the fact that many online service-based businesses, especially those that were started back in the day, they were moving more towards productizing their services and that's how they were scaling not by increasing the number of employees, not by building a larger team. And as they did this, the custom work became more or less their premium priced work. But for them moving forward, having an ongoing team was no longer really necessary. It no longer made sense. The team in essence was being paid to build out the product line and they were paid to create the templates and to create whatever processes that business needed. And after that, their work was done. Just like my friend's son, I mentioned him a few podcasts ago, They companies hire him to go and basically automate their entire warehouse. And so they may go from having like a dozen people working in a warehouse to having one. He's the one that enables the uh, machines to speak to one another. He creates all the processes and that's what he specializes in, automation. You know, the other day I saw a deal from a company and this is an example of this, what I'm talking about now. And from what I could tell, they used to build websites for local service-based businesses. When I say service-based businesses, I'm talking about like plumbers, painters, electricians, people like that, that have that kind of business. They used to do that. But now what they're doing is they sell the website designs and templates to people who are looking to get started in the local website design and the local website marketing business. So in other words, somebody who's maybe a newbie or has been doing it just a little while and is trying to grow, you buy their system, you get all of their pre-made designs, everything ready to sell with instructions showing you how to install everything on your client's site and get everything ready. The contracts and everything like that come with it. And you have access to websites for plumbers, painters, electricians, carpet cleaners, heating and cooling companies, roofers, and so on. And this is just one example of productizing a service. And so it's just like, and you can see this pattern over and over again. Like I said, they're selling to people who are just starting digital agencies, primarily newbies. And so here's the thing with business today, and this applies regardless of whether you're a solopreneur or not. This is how companies are thinking This is how companies are planning throughout the world, not just here in the U.S., but all over the world. Going forward, the mindset is everything needs to be done faster. Everything needs to be done more efficiently. 
technology should replace live workers whenever possible to lower the overhead and up the profitability of that company. Everything that can be automated or systematized needs to be automated and systematized. And that's how companies of all sizes are planning to move into the future. You know, today it's crazy. I forgot all about it until I experienced it. I read this in recently in a blog or maybe it was on Facebook, but the restaurant I was eating in today, they started using robots to deliver food to the table. I was totally shocked when the food was delivered. And this just started this year where I live here in Florida and several restaurants that I know of are on board with this already. The technology is new, but it works really well. It seems like the robots go right from the kitchen and they bring everything out to your table. And I mean, I could have reached out and taken the the plate right from the system. It's, I, it's hard to describe what it looks like. It basically looks like a small, narrow, um, I wouldn't want to call it a plate holder. In other words, it doesn't look like a, ro- a robot with like two arms and a head and it doesn't like hand you the food, but it's an automated system where it knows where you're sitting. It knows what you ordered and it comes right to your table. And this was a crowded place. And, and this thing is intelligent enough to, you know, not, <laughs> not, not plow into somebody with the food. Right. So, uh, but yeah, I was shocked. And, uh, you know, I look at that and I'm like, okay, this just started. This just started. Do you think that this is just going to disappear and that's going to be that? No, no, no. Several restaurants, like I said, are on board already. And who knows how many will be on board, let's say, even just a few years from now. And who knows how long it will take to become the norm. So think about for a minute, excuse me, how do you apply all the above to your own business? This is the challenge But it shouldn't be like a daunting challenge. This should be something that you're excited about. The thought that you can scale a business without having to take on a whole team of people and all the personality issues and all the inconsistencies that come with people. I'm not saying that you shouldn't hire anybody ever again. That's not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making here is that you can scale your business without being chained to the processes and the way things have been done in the past. As time goes on, the months ahead, even just a few years from now, new technologies will be available that make this even easier than it is right now. It's been so for the last decade or so. And if, if we've learned anything over the last few years, we've learned that now working remotely, where it wasn't really the norm before, where people really weren't comfortable, where it was very uncommon in the business world, just a few people had kind of had that as a permanent part of their business. Now it's just another, now it's just a very common way of doing business. I know that people who would never show up for live meetings were suddenly showing up on Zoom meetings where they were having record attendance. A local school that I work with, they were telling me that for parent meetings, when they, you know, they come and they speak with teachers and they have interaction, the number of parents that would show up to these meetings in person was minimal at best. When suddenly everything went online during the lockdowns and all that, suddenly that that interaction exploded online for these live meetings. And for those of you who have some experience, think about it like this. Think. I hope you can see the pattern here and the natural progression of things. 
in the past, think about it. You worked really hard. And as you worked, you experienced frustrations, you experienced setbacks, you experienced failures, and so on. We all have. But then what happens? You go through this time of transition where you learn to work smarter. And suddenly, the job that was a nightmare before becomes fairly easy. You discover some shortcuts, better ways of doing things. You refine your processes. And something that may have kept you up all night before doesn't even phase you at all. The next step will be learning how to automate certain functions within your business and how to productize some of your offerings. Maybe you'll start with one, maybe you'll do several at a time, but you're going to learn how to do the work once and get paid for it over and over again. Once your eyes are open to this, it's impossible to unsee it, which is a good thing. So if you're going to keep on keeping on, which I encourage you to do, then this is the next step in the natural progression of things. So instead of being limited to working with one person at a time, you'll be able to scale your income to be able to work with many. And as an added bonus, you'll also be able to free up more of your time and experience some of that freedom that I know a lot of people are looking for. All right, let's go ahead and put the bookmarker in it there. That's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think it will help a friend, please go ahead and share the episode link with them or send them directly to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. All the podcast episodes are there. And just to let you know, your sharing of this podcast does make it possible for me to reach people who otherwise I would probably never reach. So I really appreciate you doing that. So thank you, and thanks again for listening. Have a great rest of the week, and I'll talk to you later.